The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Keep in mind as we get through this sermon today that we don't sync up the... uh, preaching with the songs by any kind of theme, but the Holy Ghost seems to do it all the time. So just keep that in mind because I couldn't believe we were singing that this morning. Amen. Uh, praise God for all of you that are here. I praise God for all of you that are joining us uh, through live stream. Thank you for uh, all of you uh, gathering with us this morning to uh, sing, declare God's great worth, and to study his word. All of it is worship, and I'm excited to participate in it with you right now. Uh, if you would, please turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start in verse 13, go all the way through the end of the chapter today. We're continuing in our series. It's called Servant King. We're working verse by verse through the book of Mark. It's been awesome so far. It's just been a real joy to me to hear uh, feedback from many of you of how already, just a couple chapters in, uh, you're having such a great time and and being blessed by this study, and and I am too. I'm having a lot of fun. And uh, it's it's just getting started, so only get better from here. Amen. Uh, As we get into this um, series of scriptures here today, I'm going to do something you're not supposed to do. I'm going to try to adjust this. You guys ready? Someone get this out for YouTube in case there's a blooper. Did we do it? Amen. Clap for that. You might as well. That was pretty, that was brave on my part, and it worked out. So, okay. Amen. I don't know. I'm getting a little scared. I don't that's the height that's always at, but I'm really having a hard time seeing the words. I don't know if it's almost glasses time, but pray for me, because, uh, you know, that'd be a crush to the psyche. But anyways, here we go. Um, not that those of you wear glasses, there's any problem with that. I just never have had to, so it'll be adjustment for me when that day comes. Amen. I'm offended. Well, I did my best to cover it, so, <laughs> you know, just apply grace to it, if you will. Amen. Uh, today we're going to get into and see uh, people giving Jesus a bunch of lip. Basically, they find all kinds of different things to do that about, and we're going to see how he handles that, what he points to. Okay, so like I said, we're in Mark. That's uh, in the New Testament. It'll be towards the end of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you to follow along, we will have the verses on the screens. Okay, so we're going to read Mark two. Uh, did I say thirteen? We're going to start in thirteen. Really, it kind of gets cracking here in fourteen, but. Uh, to keep with the flow of what we've covered thus far, I'm going to include 13 today, and we're going to read down to uh, verse 28, okay? And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. Now that ties, this is probably the last thing I'll say about verse 13 all day, but just once again we see this emphasis of Jesus' teaching ministry, that what he was doing primarily was preaching the good news of the gospel and his kingdom and about himself, Okay? Verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened, he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, uh, keep in mind that they went and questioned the disciples, not Jesus. They already kind of realized at this point when you question Jesus, <laughs> it doesn't go very good for you. So they're, you know, but Jesus overheard, as he often did. And so he says to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old. And a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wine skins. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Praise God for his word. Amen. We got work to do. That's why the intro was short. Okay? You guys ready? So, <clears throat> come back to the beginning. So we got kind of three major things that happen here, right? So we've got Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. That riles people up. We got Jesus and his disciples not fasting, uh, which the, you know, the the standard of the day for the Pharisees and the scribes in particular was they fasted twice a week. Jesus deals with them about that later on because that was a lot about appearances for them, and of course he knew that. But So he's eaten with tax collectors and sinners. That offends them. They think that's a problem. His guys aren't fasting. He's not fasting. And then they're going on the Sabbath, walking through the grain field, okay, picking heads of grain and, and eating it. And so that violated the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees and scribes, on multiple levels. You're not supposed to you know, you're not supposed to harvest, you're not supposed to prepare food, you know, um, they were probably thick that they were walking. I mean, you know, these guys were very stringent and had made a lot of additional rules about what the Sabbath should be and what should and shouldn't happen on the Sabbath. Um, one thing commentators tend to take a point here to address so people aren't wondering, well, why was Jesus letting them do that? Because if it wasn't their grain field, like, were they stealing the grain? And in Deuteronomy, it was, it was clearly laid out that uh, those farmers who owned land should leave some for those who were passing by and hungry. And at the, this point, these guys were following Jesus. They had left their businesses. Uh, we see Levi leave the tax collector's booth. Uh, we saw Peter, Andrew, and John leave their fishing nets behind. And so uh, they had left uh, financial security. And so them walking through this field, picking these heads of grain and eating them was probably a necessity. And so they weren't stealing the grain, in case any of you were worried about that. Is anyone relieved that that's what happened and Jesus wasn't promoting uh, stealing. You, you good now? I don't want you to focus on that this entire sermon. Oh my gosh, is my king a thief? No, he's not. Okay, nor were his disciples. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to work through these big three issues that happen and see how Jesus deals with it. So I think something very interesting is said here that I want to bring your attention to. It says uh, in verse 15, and it happened he was reclining at the table in, in his house, and many, so he's, now he's in uh, Levi's house, who's also Matthew, wrote the first gospel, uh, you know, in order in our Bible. Um, not necessarily chronologically, Mark is probably chronologically first. But uh, he's reclining at, at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them 
and they were following him. Okay, so we've now got tax collectors and notorious sinners, by definition of, you know, kind of the religious authorities of the day. They're following Jesus. And why were the tax collectors and sinners receiving and following Jesus when it seems like those that should have been looking for, prepared for the coming of Messiah, those that were the religious authority of the day, they were rejecting Jesus. Why were the tax collectors and sinners receiving and following Jesus? It says many of them. Well, some of it had to do because they knew. They already knew this very crucial element that has to be in place for anybody to truly follow the real Jesus. You know what it is? It's groundbreaking. They knew they weren't good people. That is a key to the kingdom. None of us are going to come to Jesus believing that we're good on our own and be able to really receive him as he intends to be received. But tax collectors and sinners, they weren't in any of these other groups. They were a group kind of shuffled off to themselves. They kind of reserved themselves to the fact that they knew they were undeserving, or they thought, of God's mercy or love. And yet that meant they were in the right, exact right position, spiritually and mentally, to receive the message Jesus brought. The gentleness and compassion of Jesus was not disappointing to these tax collectors and these sinners. However, the gentleness and compassion of Jesus, it was disappointing to those who considered themselves righteous, who considered themselves righteous, do you hear that? And were waiting for a Messiah to come and vindicate them in their delusion of self-achieved holiness by what they thought was going to happen is he was going to come lead them to conquer and crush all those who they saw as dirty and deserving of harsh judgment. That's what they were waiting for. That's who they thought Messiah was going to be, which Jesus did not fit, fit that bill at all. This whole passage of Mark 2 that we're reading today, that we're dealing with, is highlighting the opposition that begin to rise up against Jesus, okay? Now, the Pharisees and the scribes here, they're mentioned prominently, but as we move through Mark, and as you read the other Gospels, you're going to see other groups that got their feathers ruffled by Jesus, uh, and, and I want to take a minute to lay those out for you real quick. So, uh, you know, hopefully you can remember some of these. If, if you're a note taker, now might be a good time so you can review them, because, you know, it, there's all kinds of people always kind of coming at Jesus sideways, talking out the side of their neck, right? But there is a difference in these groups, and, and it's important to understand kind of the perspective they're coming from because it helps us understand better why it's so awesome the way Jesus deals with each of them, okay? So the first is the Pharisees, okay? So who were the Pharisees? Why are they in here all the time, okay? The Pharisees were a strict and very religious group of Jews who focused on detailed obedience to both the law, right? So what was actually written in the Old Testament law, and the man-made traditions that they had added to it along the way. They were very focused on obedience to these things, these outward forms of obedience. They thought that was going to curry them favor with God. They hated Jesus because he didn't conform to their traditions and their attempts at self-salvation through rule-keeping. Okay? So they, they had a, kind of a whole power structure in their in their time, based upon their ability to guilt people into thinking they weren't following the rules good enough. And that actually did hold people down. And people, the Pharisees came, they, you know, made sure everything was just so. They weren't picking heads of grain, or they, they you know, made sure they were fastened, and the Pharisees saw it, right? So very, they actually controlled people through this legalism. 
uh, and felt really good about themselves as they did it. Okay, so you get the Pharisees, then you have the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a wealthy, upper-class kind of priestly party. The Pharise- so you basically had a, um, a binary of the power structure in the, in the temple of that time. And so the temple in Jerusalem would have been a source of influence and a, a power structure in that time. People would, have, people would have looked to the leaders of the temple to, as, for guidance and, and for leadership and to help them know how to live their lives. So the Pharisees were kind of the first major party. The Sadducees were the other major player. And they were a wealthy, upper-class, priestly party. Uh, they only believed that the five books of Moses were scripture. The rest of it they thought was you know, garbage and they weren't going to listen to it. They denied the resurrection of the dead. Okay, So they didn't think people were able to, to rise from the dead. They didn't think God could do that. Uh, so you had the Pharisees, and, and, and so, like I said, the Sadducees, they were the other major party of influence in the Jewish temple. And they also, a key to these guys is they profited really handsomely off of business in the temple. So when Jesus was flipping tables because folks were getting ripped off as, as they were being sold sacrifices at exorbitant prices because they traveled from a long way to come and make a sacrifice. You know, I don't, I don't know if you know all that, but go read the part about Jesus flipping tables. You know, lots of people like to quote that one because <laughs> they think that means they can, they can flip tables. The part that they forget is that they're not Jesus, so they should go a little slower on that. But anyways, but this sermon isn't about that. So, but that's, that, that was the Sadducees. They, they, they saw the temple as a, a place of uh, making money, basically, and, and they were pretty wealthy as a result, okay? So that's Pharisees, Sadducees. You got the scribes. Many scribes were Pharisees, okay? So just know that, but they're even more elite in some ways, because they were also considered the professional law interpreters. They were super sticklers for tradition. Okay, so if a Pharisee was going to be upset about something Jesus was doing or saying, a scribe was going to be even more upset and probably have three more things he thought should have been done differently. Okay? Uh, and they would have been losing their minds when Jesus uh, says what he says here about the Sabbath at the end. Just going nuts. Okay? Uh, and, and we see these groups do kind of coalesce and link up in their hate for Jesus as, as time goes on and Jesus' ministry goes on. So you get the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. There's some other lesser-known groups, but they're at play here. And I'm just part of what I'm doing is helping you see some of the cultural and political climate Jesus stepped into to do ministry and what he was up against. Uh, and I think it. Uh, the farther I go here, the more hopefully some bells are going to be ringing for you about what it looks like for us to do ministry today in 2020 in the name of Jesus. Okay. So you also had the Herodians. Okay, this is another group. They were a Jewish political party, and they supported King Herod. Okay, at this time, we would have Herod Antipas in power over Galilee. This is not the same Herod who was in charge when uh, Jesus was born, right, and had all the babies around Bethlehem murdered. That, that, that was this guy's dad, right? Because they don't make a distinction a lot of times. They just say, like, King Herod in the New Testament. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I'm like, man, was, is this Herod guy a vampire? Because, like, he's here the whole time. Like, does he never die, or who the heck is this, right? So... Actually, Herod died uh, around, right around the time Jesus was you know, born and growing. The first few years, it's a little debated, but whatever. Long time ago, and now uh, Herod Antipas is in power. So we have this Jewish political party who is, they're like the cheerleaders for Herod. All right, um, They hated Jesus because they saw him and his message, that, that it was, it was going to be a destabilizing force in, for the, the kind of the political climate that they had worked so hard, right? They had worked so hard to suck up to Herod and kind of be 
right behind his wake and riding on his coattails, that if Jesus is going to come along and, and what he does is, is, you know, causing any kind of potential problem for Herod, then, you know, they're Herod fanboys. So if Herod goes down, they're not in a good position. And a lot of the other uh, people of Israel around them didn't really like them that much because they had made that choice. Because Herod obviously was put in place by Rome and everybody had been subjugated by Rome. Not very happy about that. There was another group that was really not happy about it. It's the last one I'm going to tell you about. So you had the Herodians. Yay, Herod. It's okay if Rome rules us as long as I get a little piece of that pie. That's the Herodians. Then you got the Zealots. The Zealots were a fiercely dedicated group of Jewish patriots that were determined to end Roman rule in Israel. Okay? Uh, they believed in a Messiah, but they did not believe in Jesus because he wasn't the political and military leader they were looking for. They were looking for a guy to roll in and roll heads, uh, knock Herod out of power, and then march right into Rome and just finish the job. Okay? If you've read any of the story, you know that's not what Jesus did. Uh, as I said in weeks past, Jesus came for a much bigger vision than just the political climate of the day. Uh, he was working on something worldwide and that transcends time and culture. Okay? Amen. That's a good thing. right? He didn't get hemmed up in all this foolishness. So, Here's something I want you to think about. Here's something I want you to consider as we figure out how to navigate the time space we're in and some of the issues that we're dealing with. All of these different groups, right? What did I tell you? I told you about the Pharisees, the Sadducees. I told you about the scribes. I told you about the Herodians. I told you about the Zealots. You've got all these different groups, all with their different angles, all with their different emphases. Every one of them all thought God was on their side. They all thought God was on their side, and they thought when Messiah came, he would take up their cause. But what did he do? He went and befriended the group who thought he would have nothing to do with them. You had the zealots, you had the Herodians, you had the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. They're like, oh, when Messiah comes, just watch. Oh, just watch. It's about to go down. And then Messiah does show up, and what does he do? He goes and hangs out with the group that was on the side thinking, I'm sure God would have nothing to do with me. Come on now. Are, are you here? I'm going to spell it out. I'm not hearing enough amens to think y'all are catching what I'm, put, what I'm putting down here. Here's what I'm saying. It's very likely, it's more than likely that you, there's, there's groups today, you understand that? They're not called Herodians and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, but we got groups today. You understand what I'm saying? And it's much more likely that you would identify with one of those groups than you do the tax collectors and the sinners of Jesus' day. They all thought God was on their side. They all thought when God showed up through his Messiah, they would be vindicated. What happened? Burnt! That's not how it went down, is it? Praise God it's not. Amen! I'm so glad he went and sat with the sinners and the tax collectors because there's... Whatever, everybody should have been sitting at that table. That was the right table to sit at. And I'm not saying because of their actions, okay? And let me just say this and forget, in case I forget to say it later, because you're going to hear this message. And look, anytime you preach the true gospel, you tick people off, okay? That's just flat out true. Because either, if you, if you preach the true gospel, you're going to tick off the antinomians who think, it's oh, it's all about grace. It's, you know, law doesn't matter. And our, our behavior and obedience to God doesn't matter. It's all grace, grace, grace. Mm, lovely. That's not true. And if you preach the true gospel, it talks about the fact that when 
God saves you by his grace, there, there is a standard then. There is, there is a desire, a change of heart that means you want to obey him, right? There's fruit that come with repentance. So you're going to tick them off. And then over here, you're gonna, if you preach the true gospel, you're going to tick off uh, the legalists who don't, they really struggle with the idea of grace in the gospel because they're like the Pharisees and the scribes. And they, they can only imagine God being pleased with somebody who follows all the rules all the time and does a perfect job at it, not understanding that you can't even come to God unless you realize you can't follow all the rules. You can't. Okay? So, the true gospel is always going to tick off everybody. And even, even if we are gospel people immersed and soaked and just baptized in the beauty of the gospel all the time, we still need to understand we are not yet perfected. And so we're, we're going to have leanings one way or the other. And, and, you know, sometimes it may be one way, sometimes the other. It may different people may have different leanings, but we got to know this about ourselves. I, what I'm hoping you're thinking about right now is which, which Old Testament ancient gang would I have been in? <laughs> Most likely. Would I have been a Pharisee? Would I have been a Sadducee? A zealot? Uh, a Herodian? I probably would have been a zealot. <laughs> just, I'll just, I'll go first. That's, I can just see myself being, being on that team. Okay. Here's a question I want to ask you. It'll help you with what I'm asking you to do. Who would you be astonished to see Jesus hang out with if he walked the earth today? If Jesus popped up today, who would it blow your mind if who Jesus went and gravitated towards sat down with, ate with, and befriended if that was who it was? Who, what people group would it just shock you if that's who Jesus went and kicked it with? If you can think through that, it's gonna, that's going to show you where some of your othering needs repented of. And that's a term, I don't know if I coined it, but we preached a sermon a month or so ago. It was called humbling your othering. And it's this idea where you've got the, you've got the publican and the, tax, and the tax collector, or the Pharisee and the tax collector, they're both in the temple, right? The, the Pharisee's standing towards the front, and, and you know, he's, he's like this, and standing at the front so everyone can see, and he's saying, Lord, thank you so much I'm not like these other people, especially that tax collector in the back. Right, And so Jesus talks about that guy and how he's listing off all of his accomplishments and why he deserves to be standing at the front of the, the, the synagogue there. And then you've got the tax collector in the back who's beating his breast and won't even look up because he knows he's not worthy and just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said one man went home justified that day. And it wasn't the self-righteous guy. And what I'm talking about when I say your othering that is going to continue to need to be healed is all of us have a tendency to do what that Pharisee did. Because all of us struggle today and every day believing fully and totally and finding our identity in the fact that though we are broken, we are loved by God. And though we are, in, all of our own identity markers are, are really just a pile of rubble and trash, that because Jesus is identified with us, we are now a precious treasure. We struggle to really believe that and let that affect all that it needs to affect. And so we get pulled into this temptation of, of looking around for people that are a little less obedient or holy or whatever than us and we other them because it makes us temporarily feel better about ourselves well I don't think I have that temptation you're wrong <laughs> amen love you <clears throat> we don't get out of that one until we're perfected in glory one day we will fight that until the end because if, if what you're trying to tell me is you're not tempted by that anymore, then what you're telling me is you've reached perfection and glorification. Allah, you're wrong. Okay, so <laughs> that's why I ended up there. Figure, figure when I drop a bomb like that, I better explain for at least 30 seconds. Okay. Um, 
who would you be astonished to see Jesus hang out with? I want you to ask yourself that. And I want you to repent for thinking that way. We're in this series for a lot of reasons, for a lot of reasons. But one is that now more than ever, we need to know the real Jesus, not our idealized and politicized version. And the best way for us to do that is just go verse by verse through a gospel. We, we, can't, uh, we, we can't be serving or, or looking for um, a Jesus of our own imagination. We need to let him speak to and determine what he would do, how he would think about something, and let that affect how, what we would do and how we would think about it, not the other way around. Okay? Other, other, if we're not doing that, we're just building golden calves and naming them Jesus. Ooh. That, that stung me, and I'm the one that said it. That wasn't even in the notes. Glory, hallelujah. So here's, here's another question. Here's what's going to help us work through this. What political party do you think Jesus would support if he was here today? Please don't open your mouth right now. Just think it. <laughs> For the love of God Almighty. <laughs> if, he was, if he had a trucker hat on, what, what do you think he'd have? Would it have a donkey or an elephant on it? Would it be blue or red? Or his yard sign? What color would it be? What animal would it have on it? I'm going to tell you what I think, and, and what I think, I'm saying it that way on purpose, but, but it's based on what I'm seeing, especially here in Mark 2. I think Jesus would have everybody all shook up, because I don't think his yard sign would be blue with a donkey or red with an elephant. I don't think his hat would, would have either of those things on it. I think either one, his hat, his yard sign, his t-shirt, whatever he would have on, I think it'd be royal purple, and it'd have a picture of a lion and a lamb on it. And would, whew, that would mess us up even more, wouldn't it? Because that, what that already is like, oh man, I'm in big trouble. But then it goes even farther because some people like lion Jesus and some like lamb Jesus, but he won't let you reduce him down to one. He means to humble every one of us as we realize that we struggle to even conceptualize how he can be the gentle and lowly lamb of God and the conquering king who is the lion of the tribe of Judah all at the same time. He's not going to let you pick just one because he said, I'm all of them. Now, we can think about how he's a lamb to those who are his and he's a lion to those who make themselves his enemy and try to hurt those that are his, but they're still all contained within one person of Christ. He is the lion and the lamb. Just a little caveat on that. How, how, is, how is that true? What, I know I kind of dropped this bomb, so I'm just going to explain a little bit. Here's the thing. We, we see, and we're talking a lot about the gentleness and compassion of Jesus in dealing with sinners and, and, and these tax collectors and how that riles everybody else up. We need to understand that, that tr- we don't, we, when we hear gentle or gentleness, oftentimes we, we have an unhelpful misconception of what that means. True, true gentleness really comes from strength. And here's why I'm saying that. You're only gentle if you're a threat. Other than that, you're just weak. You understand what I'm saying? Because you, you're only gentle if you could not be gentle and it would matter. Other than that, you're just soft, right? But Jesus isn't just soft. He's got all the power to do all the things. He is the lion, but he's gentle and lowly in heart. 
he also operates in that disposition of a lamb. Amen. I mean, part, part of what I'm taking a minute to show you is why we're, why we're in the book of Mark, why it's so important we talk about what we're even talking about specifically today. I mean, look at, look at this sermon graphic right here. I mean, do you think we do stuff just because we think it looks cool? I mean, I do think this looks cool, but, but look, at, look at them crowns right there. Look at what we're talking about, Jesus being the lion and the lamb. How do you have somebody who can wear a crown of thorns, but at the, same, at the very same time be the absolute king of the universe? Let me help you. I mean, his, he don't, he's not wearing a crown of thorns anymore. Understand that. We're past that point. It's revelation Jesus now, glory to God. Okay? Fire eyes, hair white as snow, feet like brass, sword come out of his mouth, Jesus. Right? That's, that's the one John saw in Revelation. There's this duality to the person of Christ that just defies most of our pitiful little human groups that we <laughs> cluster up into. He cuts right down the middle and just <laughs> ticks everybody off. It's awesome. That's, why, that's part of why I really just I like being on his team. It's awesome. Now, why, so I want you to hear why, I'm, why am I saying this? Because I'm making this big claim, I guess, that, you know, and I'm, I'm offending, I'm assuming most of you to some degree a little bit by saying Jesus wouldn't have a red elephant yard sign or a blue donkey yard sign, but he's going to have a purple yard sign with a lion and a lamb on it. You're like, well, oh, I don't know about that. Well, let me just show you why I'm saying that. Why am I saying Jesus defies all these categories and, and, and why everybody was surprised when he popped up that he didn't just jump into, what, into their cause and... and magnify their cause, but that he ended up finding the group of people who didn't think they were worthy to even be around him, and that's the ones that he went associated with. Let me tell you why I'm saying that. Let me show you why I think that's reasonable. I want us to look at the answer Jesus gives to each different opposition. It's very telling. Every single time someone's like, hey, well, Jesus, what about... Um, Every single time, what does he do? He points back to himself. Let me show you. Why are you... Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? What does he say? Right? That's their big problem. Jesus is eating with sinners. Verse 17. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So why is, it, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? What was Jesus answered sinner on? The, the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. He calls himself a physician and says, I came for them. Praise God. One thing I want, I mean, this is the only physician I know of who pays the bill himself. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I, I needed him to do that because I couldn't pony up for this bill. He paid the bill himself. But what is, it, what, is he, what is his answer at its very essence? This is what I, I'm the physician and I came for these ones. That's why I'm eating with them. What's he do? So they have these categories, and these people belong in this category, and we're over here in this category, and well, Jesus is with the wrong category, and what is Jesus, what, is he, what does he focus on? You misunderstand who I am, because I'm a physician, and physicians come for the sick. Ooh, come on. Okay, we're not done yet. Even John the Baptist, supposedly, I mean, Jesus said this is the greatest man born of woman other than himself now. John the Baptist and the Pharisees are both fired about Jesus not fasting. Quote, well, Jesus, why are you and your guys not fasting? Right? John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, 
What's he say? What's he do? What's he point to? While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So just so you understand, why is he saying this? Even the teachers of the law in that day, even the Pharisees and the scribes, weddings were such a a big deal. They were so cool and meant so much that even like the, the strictest law keepers would say, which this just shows you how legalism works. They would say, if you're in that week of celebration leading up to a wedding and keeping a law stops you from enjoying yourself, just, just forget the law for right then. That was the official position. Okay. But so that's, that's part of why Jesus goes here. Okay. That's why, that's why he, part of why he uses this analogy. The attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? Because he's, because what? Because who's with them? The bridegroom, and who's the bride? It's Jesus. He goes back to himself. So long as they have the bridegroom with them, then they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. And then he goes into this idea of, you know, this parable that you you, you can't take uh, old cloth, put it on a new garment because it'll stretch and break. You can't take new wine, put it into an old wine skin because it'll burst. And let me just, let me just tell you something. Because I'm, t- I'm talking about why I think it's safe for us to say if Jesus popped up on, this, on, on the scene today that um, his, his, his political campaign uh, <clears throat> affiliations would be a purple sign with a lion and a lamb and, and would defy all of our categories. Because uh, th- what he's saying here when he's talking about the, the garments and the wine and whatever, he's saying there's a new thing happening and you all need to catch it. The new thing, again, is him pointing to himself, right? There's, I, I hear people all the time pastors, they'll go to Isaiah 43 because they start a new giving campaign or they start a, they, they do a building project or they got whatever their new project is. They're like, you know, they go to Isaiah 43 where, you know, the prophet's starting to talk about, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? And they'll just take that scripture and just slap it on anything they want to slap it on and get people riled up for the new thing. Let me help you with something. The new thing Isaiah was talking about is the same new thing Jesus was talking about here. It's him. And it's still a new thing, and it's still exciting, and that's the new thing that's going to be the new thing until the the next new thing, which is the end of all things. Okay? Woo! Last thing they were upset about, why do they ignore the Sabbath? What What does Jesus answer? What? You guys are picking heads of grain on the Sabbath. You're breaking all the rules. How does Jesus answer them? He's not ashamed about it at all. His answer about why he's eating with tax collectors and sinners is, I'm a physician and this is who I came for. His answer about why they're not fasting is, I'm the bridegroom and I'm here, so it's time for joy. Unapologetically, makes it about himself. He's the main deal. How does he answer their their questions about the Sabbath? Well, he gives them an example of David. First, so there's, there's two principles here. I, I'll tease the first one out first. I don't have a ton of time. To, so why does he talk about David and what he did with the showbread and all that deal? There, there's, he's kind of smacking them two ways. The first across the bow there is, listen, man, you guys misunderstand the point of the law. You misunderstand the point of the Sabbath. He says man, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. He's saying the point, if, if, the, if your understanding of the law ever gets in the way of loving or helping people, then you missed it. One. Two, then he hits him with, the Sabbath is made for man, not the man for Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The last thing he has to say about it. Yeah, he said the stuff about David and all that, but what's he cap it off with? Here's the last thing I'm, here's my answer for you. Boom, the son of man is even Lord of the Sabbath. Who'd he point to? Where'd he point? And it's his answer of their criticism. Here's what you're missing. Here's what you're not considering. Right? The physician's here. The bridegroom's here. 
the Son of Man is here. Sit down. What does this mean practically for us today? It means a lot of things. It means more things than I have time to tell you right now. I'm just going to pick a few. What this means, first of all, is that we don't have to be freaked out by this election coming up. And if we are, our focus is in the wrong place and on the wrong people. Now, hear me in this. I'm not saying in in all that I've said here, I know I brought up, you know, royal purple campaign signs, and they're like, oh, what does he mean? I'm not saying we don't vote and engage in our civic duty in the nation and time that God has placed us. I'm not saying that. But our hope is not tied to political structures of this temporary kingdom. Followers of Jesus have an eternal king who reigns over an eternal kingdom, and it is in him that our hope and joy and peace are found. And that's what I was telling you earlier. They didn't know I had that line in this sermon when they picked that song, Living Hope, to begin with. But boy, that goes together pretty good, doesn't it? Amen. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Now, some of you might be sitting where you're thinking because you've watched a lot of news and you know a lot more than I do. And so you might be thinking, look, dude, I hear what you're saying. You're real excited about Jesus and all that, but you're, you're naive, man. You don't understand what is at stake in this election. <clears throat> well, <laughs> if we just go back in time, if we had a time machine to hop back every four years, you could find people going, you don't have any idea what's at stake in this election. Okay, first of all, I just want you to know that. <laughs> uh, hey, look, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. This, <laughs> elections are a big deal, okay? Uh, but, and maybe I am naive. That, okay, maybe, but I'll say this. I'd rather be naive and not live, live crippled in fear. But there's, there's another possibility that it's not naivete that is the issue. What if we just truly, actually trust in God? I don't know. Try that on for size. I don't know, okay? I don't know what God is doing in America. I don't know if he's lifting us up and we're heading in towards another great awakening. I hope so. And and when I say a great awakening, I mean primarily spiritually because that's a lot of what our problem is. I don't know if he's lifting us up or I don't know if he's in the process of, of every, with everything that's going on that he, is, that he is putting us and sitting us down. I don't know which way this is going. I don't claim to be a prophet in that area. And a lot of guys that do claim to know, I'm, I'm iffy on. But I do know whichever way it goes, it's going to lead to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I do know that because he's promised it in his word and you can take that one to the bank. My hope is not tied to the global supposed supremacy of the United States of America. And listen, I'm not, I'm not you know, a Herodian and I'm not a zealot. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't, I don't hate my country. I love the fact that God has chosen to place me here to spread his gospel in, the, in this time. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all that that means. I'm thankful for the freedoms that that means. All I'm saying is my hope is not tied to this temporal kingdom. Which means a lot of things, but what it, what it means is if, if, if we as God's people are engaged in these discussions of, oh, well, if this presidential candidate uh, gets in, everything's going to implode and explode. Well, I think if this one gets in, it's going to implode and explode. or what, Whatever the deal is, man. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 
Maybe, yeah, maybe the economy does get worse. I don't know, maybe it gets better. At the end of the day, whatever happens, God is sovereign. And whatever happens, well, well what, about, what about persecutions? That's what you're not talking about. You're not talking about persecution of Christians. That's what you're not talking about. Here's the thing, man. Here's what I want. Hear me. Real, listen to me very carefully. God sent the iron rod of other nations in the Old Testament to discipline his people and to put them right in the humble position he needed them to be in. I'm not saying that's what he's doing. I already told you I don't know. But what I'm saying is, it's on the table. Because what we may need is not to be continually reaffirmed in our awesomeness. What we might need is a sit down. Because what he cares about most is our hearts and our posture before him. Because that's what's going to matter for eternity. So whatever he does, well, what if persecution comes? There, there will not be one ounce of persecution upon God's people that he does not allow. And if he allows it, then he's using it for some forming and shaping purpose in us. Do you really believe that? That's where it comes down to do you trust God? Really, actually. That's hard. I get, that's really hard. That's not my, I'm preaching against my natural bend right now because if I feel someone trying to put their boot on me, natural, Vince Marquis, it's not, it's not gentle, lowly, loving pastor time at then. It's less rock and see who comes out on top time if I'm just operating the natural man. But hey man, that's, that's not how we live. We live in light of this Jesus who showed up, the physician, the bridegroom, the son of man, who, let, who had more power than any of us, who would have won any fight he got in. And what'd he do? Let him shove a crown of thorns on his head. Let him beat and humiliate, stripped naked, nailed to a cross, bled and died in our place. That's your king if you belong to him. If you don't today, I'm hoping that you're, you're seeing that you're in the place of those tax collectors and sinners, and maybe you're hearing about a different Jesus than you've ever heard before. Maybe you've only ever heard from Jesus from scribes or Pharisees or Sadducees or zealots who didn't know that's who they were. And so they didn't give you the right understanding of the fact that if, if you know you're dirty and broken, if you know that you have no business in God's presence, you're in the exact spot he needs you to be in to come to him. Is that, I mean, that's beautiful. And that's good news that we can go and share. <laughs> Amen. We have to disengage from the fear and rancor being used by our enemy to divide us and keep us in fear. We need to know that we operate on a different plane than those whose only hope is in man and in man-made solutions. That's not where you are today if you know and love and trust Jesus. You're not stuck down there in the scurry and hurry and, well, what are we going to do and where can we find a solution? <laughs> Spoiler alert, we can't. We've never been able to. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why he did all he did. Said some of the wild things he said. We, we operate on a different plane and, and I want to show you, this, this is, I don't know if you know how big of a deal it is that Jesus called Levi, who is also Matthew, and I hope this will show, show you when I talk about us operating on a different plane because we're on Team Jesus, do you understand? Levi was a tax collector, man. He was a Roman sympathizer, and he was a profiteer who 
Basically, if you, were, if you were a Jewish tax collector, you were kicked out, booted from the synagogue. Your family name was stained. It was well known that you had made a choice for money and so that I can have the authority of the Romans behind me to extort my own people. I'm, I'm basically cutting myself off from my, my own nation and people. That was the place that Levi would have been in as Jesus walked up. What does it say even that Jesus said, hey, you, follow me, knowing how everyone else would have felt about him. But here's the next thing I want you to see, because here, you know, and you know, I, I feel a little punchy when people start trying to come at me about, well, you know, the, the gospel and what the church does and, and being focused on Jesus, that's not enough to answer the problems of our day. Let me, can I help you with something? You had Levi, who was this, this Roman thief, basically, who had the power of the Roman army behind him to be able to rob his own people. That's where he was at. Jesus comes up and says, follow me. Do you know, so everyone else on the team would have already hated him right off the bat, and yet now they come, now Levi just leaves his stuff. Not only that, but starts convincing other guys that were like him, hey man, come listen to this guy, he's got something to say to us. Now he's on the team, everybody, do you know there was another guy on the team? You guys, most of you know about Simon Peter. Do you know there's another Simon on, on Team Jesus, on the disciples? He's known as Simon the Zealot. Do you remember who the Zealots were? They were, the, they were the hardcore sword-sharpening patriots waiting to slit the throats of every Roman they could find to free the Jews. So, so we got Simon the Zealot on Team Jesus, and we got Levi the tax collector now on Team Jesus. If we could get people like that to come together and realize there's, a, there's something bigger than them at work here that we could work together towards, do you think maybe possibly some of those things, that, that, that struggles that we have today as a culture could be solved? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's how you solve it, man. It's the only way you can. Jesus is the only one with the power to unify people that far on, on opposite ends of the spectrum. Only one. Because in order for that to happen, you've got to have heart-level change. And there's only one great physician who can get in there and do that kind of work. His name is Jesus. Amen. Jesus and his gospel, they free us from the trap of trying to prove we are a good person by demonizing others. Because the gospel is the only truth that allows us to acknowledge we aren't good people and not simultaneously be utterly crushed by that truth. Can I help you with something? I'm helping myself with it. We need to see this. We need to have eyes to see what's going on around us. A huge portion of the problems with what we're dealing with today is people standing in their group, convinced they are the good ones. And everybody else is the bad ones. And everyone back through history were the bad ones. There is this compulsion that we have to find a group of people and convince ourselves that we are the good ones because we haven't truly come to believe and understand the gospel. The gospel frees you from that. The gospel allows you to sit at the sinner tax collector table and say, yeah, I already know I'm cut off from my people, probably cut off from my God, don't really deserve the time of day from any Messiah who may come. I am filthy and dirty. But if you're willing to sit at that table, that's where Jesus tends to pop up. Amen. You missed that spot to say amen right there. That's good news, man. You don't have to keep posturing. You don't have to keep convincing yourself and trying to convince others that you're the good person. How do, I, how do I do that without being crushed on the inside? Because simultaneously I can say, yes, I understand. I am not a good person, but Jesus 
has loved me and because Jesus has loved me and because Jesus has taken his goodness and his righteousness and given it to me as a gift by faith, then in that sense, I am good and I am his and I do have an identity that doesn't make me want to just crawl under a rock and die. What are you saying? Are, are, you, are, are you saying we have to totally give up our own identity markers and, and only be identified primarily through Jesus? Yes, you nailed it. And until then, we're going to keep scratching and scraping and striving to convince ourselves and others of how good we are. And that's going to put us at war with people who think they're good for different reasons and think we're bad for the very reasons we think we're good. Praise God for his gospel. How does the gospel do that? The gospel does that because in order for us to preach the gospel, in order for us to believe the gospel, a prerequisite of even coming in the door is saying, yes, I am a sinner, that I actually need a savior. It's the good word from Romans 3 that tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're saying that's a good word? Yeah, it's good because it brings clarity to our condition and it helps us understand what we're dealing with here. Because until we come to buy that truth, we keep, we keep we, we're scrambling for all the man-made solutions. We keep trying to fix this stuff with politics. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? The gospel is two major parts. The bad news is we are bad and we need a savior. The good news is if you're willing to admit that and you're willing to look to Jesus and trust him as that great physician, to see him and have joy in him as that bridegroom, to know he is the son of man who came to save the world from their sins. And if you'll reach out by faith and ask and receive salvation through him, you can have it. You can be free. Actually, really. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for these scriptures. Thank you. Thank you that there's nothing new under the sun. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the, the, the cultural, political climate you walked into, Lord, I know, please forgive us, because we always think we're the ones who have it the hardest. We're now dealing with something no one's ever had to deal with, and, and we've got such a raw deal. Lord, you walked, you were dealing with Pharisees and scribes, Sadducees and zealots, and, and, and more that we didn't even discuss. There was so much tension, so much vying and volleying, and everyone thinking they're right, and everyone thinking that God should support their purposes. Well, Lord, please humble us and continue to break us and realize that this, that works in reverse. We need to support your purpose. We need to get on board with your campaign. And your campaign has always been about one thing, bringing the lost and the broken, the hurting close to you, loving them, taking them from slavery in the kingdom of darkness and bringing them to freedom in your kingdom of light. God, may we bow our knees and, and, and joyously participate in what it is you're doing. Quit trying to get you to do what we're doing. We love you so much. Thank you for chastising those whom you love. Thank you for dealing with us, encouraging us. You're a good father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.